Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Favor. Take a minute, turn the radio up. Take a seat in the pastor's office. Right. the frequency, tune in. Get up, word. Reverend Jonathan Mason. Oh, yes, you should. Take a minute, turn the radio up. And take a seat. Hey, Philly's favorite listeners, it's Pastor Jonathan Mason, and I want to welcome you to another edition of the Pastor's Office. Wait a second, a Father's Day edition of the Pastor's Office. I want to say happy Father's Day uh, to all of the men that have taken on the responsibility of fatherhood. I say this all the time. Anybody can make a child. Anybody can have a child. But it's another thing to raise a child, to engage in that child's life, to make sure that child has everything that they need in order to obtain their full potential in life. So I want to wish all the sure enough fathers out there a happy Father's Day on this Sunday afternoon. I, I, I for one... I'm looking forward to having dinner with my two sons, Jonathan and Jackson. Uh, As you well know, if you listen to the show quite frequently, they're 16 and 12. I'm not letting them cook, but I will let them act like they're going to pay for my dinner today. (laughs) Remember this. Remember this. Remember this. Time is the most valuable possession we have. And so just spending time with my boys. Uh, is a blessing to me. So, again, happy Father's Day to all of our fathers out there, uh, and I pray that your time today is well spent. We're going to actually today kind of focus on Juneteenth. Um, As you recall, uh, if you are a frequent listener uh, of our show, uh, last year we had a really good dialogue with Congressman Al Green uh, out of Texas Uh, about Juneteenth and about uh, some of the things that he was working to move through Congress uh, to memorialize uh, this day, uh, this special day in the life of America, right, in the life of America. Uh, But what has surprised me, and I'm not going to say surprised, uh, but what, yeah, I did say surprised. Okay, it, it surprised me. How many of us do not know the origin of Juneteenth, why it's an important day, why it's a now federal holiday in the United States of America. And so today, I wanted to do two things. One, I wanted to explore the history of Juneteenth. And then two, I wanted to share with you activities that are going on this weekend, so today and Monday, Uh, that you can participate in, that you can be a part of, uh, to really, really, really um, make the most uh, of this Juneteenth holiday. Uh, They say that Dr. King's birthday is a day on, not a day off. I really believe they ought to say that for Juneteenth as well. 
uh, because it is not a day where we should be at the park or at the pool, but it's a day when we should really uh, be doing something that shows that we appreciate, respect, and honor the shoulders of those who we stand on, those that in many cases suffered uh, so that we might be able to thrive today. That being said, come on, let's give you a history lesson. Uh, I want to welcome into the pastor's office uh, this afternoon for the very first time uh, an associate professor and director of the Center of Africana Studies uh, at Johns Hopkins University. Uh, His name is Dr. Minka Makalani. Dr. Makalani, welcome into the pastor's office. How are you this afternoon, sir? I'm well, I'm well. Thank you for having me. Well, listen, I want to thank you for taking time. Uh, to join us here in the pastor's office today to give us some background uh, on the Juneteenth holiday. But I do want to share with our listeners that uh, you've got a couple books out that um, I really need to uh, go out and pick up. I think we all should go out and pick up. One is In the Cause of Freedom, Radical Black Internationalism from Harlem to London, 1917 to 1939. And then your second project was Words Past the Margin, Black Thinking Through the Unimaginable. Uh, so yes. you, you, you've you got wonderful credentials. Uh, our producer came to me and said, this is the person you need to talk to uh, about <laughs> Juneteenth. So I thank you for saying yes and joining our Philly's favorite listeners today. Let's get into it. Uh, uh, talk okay. to us about the history of Juneteenth. What exactly is Juneteenth? Well, so Juneteenth began um, right on the hills of slavery. So after the Emancipation Proclamation you had two years, roughly, where uh, Black people who were held in slavery in those um, states that were in rebellion were not afforded the benefits of emancipation. And at the end of the Civil War in April of 1865, uh, Black people in Texas were still held in slavery. Um, uh, Confederate soldiers in Texas uh, continued to fight and even after the end of the Civil War. And it took a General Gordon Granger to come into Texas, into Galveston, Texas. Uh, He was sent to kind of establish order, assert union control. And on June 19th, 1855, he gave what is General Order Number 3, which announced that, in fact, all those who were held in slavery in the state of Texas were free. Now, to varying degrees, people who were held in slavery, particularly in Galveston, already knew about the Emancipation Proclamation, already knew that, according to the federal government, they had been emancipated from enslavement. Um, But they weren't allowed to exercise that, or at least weren't allowed to exercise it freely. White people, both those who held people in slavery and those who benefited from whiteness, refused to allow that to transpire. And so on June 19th, this comes down. It takes a little bit of time, but that becomes the the point where it's very clear that slavery is over in the state of Texas as it is in the rest of the country. And a couple of years after that, you begin to see celebrations emerging in the state of Texas around Juneteenth, around June 19th. Um, 
which is where it takes its name from. And these have been named, you know, they start in Texas. They kind of grow and spread from there to a number of different places, possibly merging with other kinds of celebrations that were already going on elsewhere in the country. Um, and it's now known variously as Freedom Day, our Jubilee, Emancipation Day. Uh, but this became kind of a, a hallmark, I think, of both the resistance and the resistance of not black people, but white people to black freedom in the South and in the country more generally, but also an indication of the resolve of black people to realize their, fuel, their full humanity and to realize and celebrate themselves and what we've been able to accomplish in this country despite everything that's been stacked against us. And so I think that's part of the reason why Juneteenth has taken off as this national holiday. Um, I remember growing up in Kansas City, Missouri, that in the summers, there would be one day in the summer. And to me as a kid, it just seemed one random day every summer where there'd be a big parade that would go up our street. And I later found out that this was part of the Juneteenth celebration that used to happen in Kansas City um, back in the, the 70s. Um, I don't recall it when I was a teenager, but I also didn't know what it was. I had no idea what the celebration was. And then as I got into uh, college, started to read a little bit of history, I became a, a bit more familiar with the day, with the history behind it, and why people were celebrating. And then it was after living in Texas, in Austin, Texas, and getting to witness how important this holiday is to Black people in Texas that I really began to get a much greater sense of the holiday's importance and also what it means to Black people, what it means to us to celebrate our freedom and not need the sanctioning of local whites, of city governments, or the federal government even. This is something we've been doing since the 1870s at a minimum, excuse me, the, 18, the late 1860s. Um, so more than 100 years we've been doing this, and now the nation is finally catching up with us. You know, and I want to I want to break in there. There are two things you said. I mean, you said a lot and and gave us a lot of great information. But there are two things you said uh, that I want to to focus on. One, you talked about the resolve uh, of of black people in America. Uh, so I want to go there, but the, the, the and I'll come back to that in a second. But the other piece is how this holiday flew under the radar for so long. So let's go back to the resolve. Um, when when you think about black people in America, and, and I was looking at a a documentary the other night, you know, we were in slavery as of 2023. We were in slavery longer than we've been free, uh, and mm-hmm. and we look at all of the issues that that black people are facing in America today. Uh, you know, when we talk about redlining, when we talk about uh, economic inequality, I mean, the, the, the violence in our communities and how that violence actually uh, uh, came to our communities. Uh, there's so many things we could talk about. But talk to us about about the people we came from, 
uh, those that were enslaved, those that were part of the enslaved population, these individuals in Texas who remained in slavery after everybody else had been free. You've done a lot of research on our culture and on our time here in America. Tell me what you've learned about our resolve as a people. Right. And that's a really good question, because I think there's a way that um, both in the popular culture and kind of the popular American imagination and in some ways in how black people during the period of slavery are depicted, we don't get a real sense of who black people were and what they endured, but also what they thought, how they felt and the kinds of things they did to try and uh, reshape the world into something much different than what they found themselves in. And so we're talking really about people who are coming from various parts of the African continent, um, either directly or coming through the Caribbean, um, and finding themselves in a land among people, both other Black people as well as white people, who they are totally unaware of. They have no idea who these people are, sometimes not speaking the same languages, uh, the customs are much different. The religious practices are much different. The way that people understand the world around them is much different. And so then they realize that they have to make sense of this world, make sense of their circumstances, and rebuild a life under unimaginable circumstances. And it's that part of it, that rebuilding a life, that rebuilding connections to one another, making linkages to people that Normally, folks can talk about, you know, my family came to the United States or uh, from from here in Europe or, uh, you know, I can trace my ancestry back to this place in the Middle East. And we're talking about black people in the United States and in the Caribbean. That often isn't the case. But one of the things that I think can get lost if we just focus on what we can't recover, at least until now, you know, with the different ancestry um, uh, businesses that can help us find out, uh, get some sense of where we come from, um, that what can get lost in that is that people actually did build connections. They built communities. They built traditions. And they didn't, you know, everything that came with them from the African continent wasn't just wiped away. They took what they knew. They merged it with what others from the other parts of the African continent knew. And informed each other, but also really informed uh, the world that we have today in terms of both language, art, food, a whole range of things. So when we think about Black people who were held in slavery in the Americas, in the United States, if we just limited to the U.S., we're talking about people who faced insurmountable odds, unimaginable obstacles, constant violence and the threat of violence. And then somehow still manage to figure out a way to build relationships and community and continue to develop culture and also continue to develop ideas about what it means to be a human being, what it means to be free, what it means to live in a society and how to make a society just. And I think those kinds of things often aren't really talked about enough. And so when we put all of that into perspective, you know, we can also register at different points in time problems that we encounter, problems that were self-inflicted, the ways that we have made decisions and people have done certain things that maybe weren't in our best interest. But nonetheless, 
people have confronted situations with what they had, the resources that they had, what they could imagine. And they've then tried to build something better for themselves, for their children, for their neighbors. And that's really what has shaped so much of the world we live in today is that resolve to remake ourselves and to nourish one another. Now, and you know, it's obviously, as you, some of the things you pointed out, it isn't just this linear story of, you know, we went from being enslaved to free and things have just progressively gotten better in all respects. There have been setbacks. There have been things that um, have emerged that some of the time we have no control over what has happened to us in some respects. We have engaged in a number of behaviors that, for whatever reason, have negative impact, but we've also developed this vibrant life. When I say life, I mean both our cultural practices, how we live, familiar relationships, extended relationships. You know, the number of your listeners and people in your church, you probably have cousins and uncles that are just folks that the family knows from the South, right? Or they've known for generations. That these are all representative of a number of things that we've kind of developed and insisted on that has transformed so much and shaped so much of the country. And so when we think about what we're talking about, when we, when we, excuse me, when we think about uh, what one is saying when they say the United States of America and what, you know, what it means to be American, oftentimes our reaction is to see that this is a conversation about white people. But we're really talking about what makes the United States look like it does and act like it does and, why it has certain kinds of policies and politics and practices, more times than not, we're talking about things that either issue from Black people or that are developed to try and control and contain Black people. So Black people have been at the center of the history of the United States, and we remain at that center. And it's not to say that we're the only group that's at the center, but we are there. We are central to the history of this country and we have to really see that what those people were doing when they were enslaved and what they imparted to their progeny, to their children, to their grandchildren, the stories that we grew up with, the, the tales of our family that we have, that this is all kind of informed the world that we live in and in some very important ways. Um, and even, and, you know, if we think about, again, just thinking about Juneteenth, um, the way that we try and make connections to black people around the world. You have a whole range of celebrations um, that attempt to make those connections so that even though we're in the United States, we're also trying to see ourselves as part of a global community and that whatever the benefits and the problems that we encounter in this country, it's not the only option that we have. It's not the only resource that we can draw on. We can draw on a whole globe of black activism, black history to nourish ourselves and build a better future. You're listening to Philly's Favorite 100.7 FM. We are here in the pastor's office today talking about the history of Juneteenth with Dr. Minka Makalani, who is an associate professor and director of the Center for Africana Studies at the Johns Hopkins University. Uh, Dr. Makalani, before we let you go, uh, I did share earlier, I wanted to talk about how this holiday flew under the radar for so long, uh, and not, not the holiday, but just Juneteenth itself, because we know Biden signed it into law as a holiday um, uh, uh, in, during his administration. But mm-hmm. but I grew up in Abington, Pennsylvania, 
okay, uh, which is 12% black. And I'll be very candid with you. I never heard of Juneteenth growing up in Abington, Pennsylvania. Uh, in the seventies and the eighties, uh, uh, I didn't hear about Juneteenth until I matriculated to the Norfolk State University in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, uh, so, okay. so, so, how how is it that it flew under the radar in so many communities? Uh, and then talk to us a little bit about, you know, were there any pioneers, any any generals in the field that helped to make this an actual federal holiday? Well, I, I, I can't, I'm kind of hesitant about the, uh, the notion that it, it flew under the radar, or at least that there wasn't something equivalent. So I'm sure, you know, growing up, um, there was some manner of celebration that Black people were engaged in where you're from. And I, I think that's really the key, and I think that's why Juneteenth has caught on nationally among Black people. Um, now, you know, it's it, it being made a national holiday is a different question that I think is 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 is, um, is a rather vexed one, and I'm not sure how comfortable I am with that national holiday. But we could think yeah. about we could think about the range of celebrations that Black people have engaged in since emancipation that have sought to mark that day. Um, so you know, marking July uh, January first, excuse me as uh, a Black Independence Day, um, people turning to Haitian independence and celebrating that as a Black holiday, um, which occurs in various parts on the East Coast and up and down the East Coast. So I think that what we have is Juneteenth, because it does connect to this very real history of resisting white supremacy in one of its most blatant manifestations in the United States, the enslavement of black people, right? That we are now, we see people latching onto that and trying to replicate that holiday in different places and build a tradition that maybe grasps onto other kinds of traditions. Um, So you have like African Liberation Day celebrations. Um, So while I don't remember Juneteenth celebrations in Kansas City as a teenager in the 80s, I do remember in the 90s, you began to have African Liberation Day celebrations. And this is growing out of a political current that is in the wake of Black power, that is trying to, I think, tap into that same sentiment, that same desire to celebrate our past. And I think that's what's really important about the holiday. And and I think, you know, to, to your point, why so many people didn't know about it. Like, I didn't know what those parades were. I didn't know about Juneteenth like you until I got to Central State University in Ohio, which is the HBCU, and then went to the University of Missouri to finish uh, my graduate career, my undergraduate career, excuse me. Um, I began to learn about it, but what was really important in what I learned is that it was also a challenge that Juneteenth in many ways, and a lot of these celebrations are a challenge on what we mean by freedom. So it isn't just that General Granger came to Texas and announced that Black people in the state were, in fact, no longer enslaved. And then all of a sudden, we celebrated freedom and inclusion, and we were now just like white people. We were just like everyone else in the society, right? 
it was, okay, now we are no longer bound by this institution, but we want freedom to be more than even what they believe freedom to be. Because just like when uh, a French general, Kirk, he comes to what is now Haiti and he gets this declaration of emancipation that ends slavery for a time uh, under French rule, he says that the former slaves have to remain good workers. Granger says virtually the same thing, that black people are not going to be allowed to be idle. They're not going to be allowed to go to union, union forces and collect money. They have to stay where they live and continue to be good workers. And black people around the country are saying something much different. We're saying something about what freedom needs to be for us to truly be free. And it's not just to work well for the system as it is, but how do we change the system? What are some fundamental changes? And I think that's something that's been consistent since the day that black people were in what is now the United States, in the Caribbean, in various South American countries. And so I think that's really what people are grabbing onto, what they're celebrating, is this sense of life, this sense of celebration that black people are engaged in, but also that this requires something a lot more of the country than merely recognizing the day and making it a federal holiday and everyone being able to take the day off. You know, like you said, it should be a day on. We're going to still celebrate it and celebrate one another, but we should also see that part of what's going on in that celebration is something that is a, a real serious challenge to what we think about as freedom, to what we think about of this country and how to transform it in ways that can make us finally not need to say, for example, Black Lives Matter. It just will, right? But that's going to require a tremendous transformation of the society, not just our inclusion. So I think that's what's really critical about it. And it, I think, you know, and, and this is something that your listeners probably are well aware of, as are you, so much of the rich history that we have um, ends up being local knowledge and it, it spreads to us elsewhere in the country very slowly because for so long, anything that we would do would be devalued or degraded. Maybe we didn't even see value in it at a certain point in time. And we had to really reassess on our own terms what we were doing. What is a value? What isn't a value for us? And I think that is part of the reason why so many people didn't know about Juneteenth for so long. And so to the extent that making it a federal holiday now puts it in the mind of Black people across the country, um, that's the, the good part of that. But I think in so many ways, we were already celebrating ourselves and, and making these demands on the society in which we live, that this is just one example that really crystallizes our ability to survive and really transform the world that we live in. Dr. Minka Makalani from John Hopkins University. Sir, I want to thank you for joining us in the pastor's office today to talk about the history of, the Ju- of Juneteenth uh, and where we are today. Uh, it's been a great and stimulating conversation for our listeners. And listen, we hope that we can call on you in the future uh, when the need arises for you to give us some more detail and some of the benefit of your expertise and your many years of research. Well, thank you for having me, and I'd be glad to come back on. God bless you. And we'll be right back after these commercial messages to talk to Morgan Lloyd from the African American Museum in Philadelphia. And then 
After that, I'm going to give you my thoughts on the I-95 unfortunate debacle that we're dealing with for the next several months. We'll be right back. Hey, Philly's favorite listeners, welcome back to the pastor's office. And we want to, again, thank Dr. Minka Makalani from John Hopkins University for giving us that wonderful background on Juneteenth. Uh, I pray you learned a lot uh, during that 30-minute conversation. But now we want to talk about some of the things that we can do over this Juneteenth holiday. And for that, I wanted to talk to Miss Morgan Lloyd, who's the programming coordinator for the African American Museum in Philadelphia, uh, and let her share with us. Let her let her be our tour guide uh, to share with you some of the things that you can find at the African American Museum in Philadelphia uh, that'll bring you closer to this holiday and closer to our heritage. Uh, Miss Lloyd, welcome into the pastor's office. How are you this afternoon? I am well. Happy to be here. How are you? I am wonderful, and I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to join us today. Let, let, let's talk about it. First of all, I love the African American Museum in Philadelphia. It is rich with exhibits that can really edify uh, and educate uh, our listeners and, and, and members of the city of Philadelphia and, and all around. But we really want to focus in on Juneteenth. I continually uh, have shared with my listeners during this show today uh, that Juneteenth ought to be have the same type of mentality that we have for MLK Day. Uh, it's not a day off. It's a day on. Uh, and we should be taking our children and family members to to activities that will enrich them. Uh, and again, draw us closer to our culture and draw us closer to our heritage. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about what's going on over at the African American Museum in Philadelphia that can accomplish that goal? Absolutely. So on Monday, June 19th, from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., uh, the museum is hosting a free admission day. But on top of that, from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., we are hosting our annual Juneteenth block party. This year is called Liberation Rising. Everything is free and open to the public, and we're partnering with Wawa Welcome America to kick off that 4th of July season. But this time, we're focusing a little bit more on those who identify as black and African-American and opening up this season of freedom with an emphasis on culture and a little bit of nuance so anyone can jump in and join along. Now, it is a huge activation. Not only are we taking up the entire parking lot of our museum, which is huge, but also we are going to be blocking off a few extra streets for some activations. For the family, there is going to be a couple games. We have Double Dutch, Face Painting, Uno, Cotton Candy, and we have live performances coming from Philadanko, the Marian Anderson Scholars Artist Program, Mr. Man's Jam Band, and a huge artist, DJ Spinderella from Salt and Peppa. And we have another fantastic artist named Sarak that are going to be carrying us through our day of celebration and jubilee. Now, we are also taking the time to highlight, of course, the historic occasion of Juneteenth. When those enslaved peoples were manumitted from Galveston, Texas, later than the rest of those. And in addition to that commemoration, June 19th also happens to be the museum's birthday. So we have confetti cannons and all kinds of amazing things in store. 
On top of that, for those that are interested in participating in our free museum day, when you go inside, we have a New York Times praised exhibition called Rising Sun, Artists in an Uncertain America, where we take 20 artists, including the famous Hank Willis Thomas, Deborah Willis, Mark Thomas Gibson, and we are exploring the question, is the sun rising or setting on the experiment of American democracy? But since we work at the African American Museum, all of our artists come from an Afro background. So we have a little extra spice that we're bringing to the table. And as we contemplate our own freedom, you can go back and forth, celebrate in the contemporary, through art, or in the context of the past in our museum, and then go outside and party with the rest of us. Morgan, first of all, let me say this. You need to be in radio. Uh, you, <laughs> you, 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 you are the right person uh, uh, to be talking about these activities going on at the African American Museum in Philadelphia. I love it. I love it. I love it. Listen, listen. Okay, okay. All right. First of all, let's tell our listeners, uh, one, uh, where they can go to find out more information about these activities. And then two, uh, uh, let's share with them address, location. I want our listeners to converge on that uh, celebration on my, on tomorrow. Absolutely. So everyone, feel free to drop by the African American Museum in Philadelphia. We are located at 701 Arch Street in Philadelphia, zip code 19106. Be sure to visit our website, aampmuseum.org, or you could visit our exhibition site, which has all of our upcoming events, risingsunphilly.org. If you have any questions, feel free to give the museum a call at 215-574-0380. Now, I'll give you one radio tip. Uh, when you give it out a number, you got to give it out at least twice, and they're not going to get it. So let's, let's do that one more time. Give them that Thank number one more time. All right, and again, that is 215-574-0380. All right, now, now the only the only downside to these celebrations, there's only one downside. I, I see that our friends at WURD have partnered with you, but mm-hmm. Philly's Favor is not partnered with you. So next year or later this year when you're doing some other activities, we want to make sure Philly's Favor is there to support you as well. So let's keep these conversations going so that we can make sure uh, that our listeners are out there and are a part of this and, and that we're doing our part to help promote this wonderful museum. Thank you for that plug. And I'm going to make sure that everybody knows that over here on our end as well. Absolutely. Now, listen, I know that it does not stop after Juneteenth. So just before we let you go, why don't you share with our listeners a few of the other upcoming activities in the month of June that they might be able to participate in? Absolutely. So we have two events, ironically, with the same title, but not to be fully confused with one another. So... At the top of July, we are partnering with the Mann Center of Performing Arts to bring in a huge symposium called the Black Metropolis Symposium, where we'll be analyzing black life and culture through lens of black music and all of its varieties and all of its history. And we're celebrating the way in which we evolved inside of our metropolitan areas. In addition... We also are hosting not one but two of AMP and 1838 Black Metropolis's signature series, the Black Metropolis Walking Tour, where we'll be walking around Old City Philadelphia in accordance to a census generated by black people in 1838. 
And we will be walking and talking not only about the significant, huge heroes of black history, but also we'll casually be walking past people's houses and shouting out the names of the everyday folk that often go missing in our history. Everyone is themed alongside our Rising Sun exhibition, and you'll be surprised to see how much of Old City was actually a black space. I'm excited to hear about all these activities going on at the museum, and, and I will tell you that I'm going to bring my two boys on Monday. Uh, I have two sons, Jonathan and Jackson, 16 and 12, uh, and I always look for things to take them to uh, on days like this. I don't want them at home on video games. I don't want them uh, out at the beach. I want them to be a part of something that's going to give them knowledge. Uh, so we're looking forward to seeing your team on Monday uh, at the festivities. But listen, I want to thank you for joining us in the pastor's office today. And my commitment is real. Uh, let us know how we can be more of a partner with you uh, in promoting some of the great works down there at the African-American Museum in Philadelphia. So thank you for joining us, and we look forward to talking to you again in the future. Happy to be here, and I look forward to seeing you and talking with you again. And we'll be right back after these commercial messages. Don't go away. I want to talk to you about I-95 and what we're going to be dealing with for the next several months. All right, we'll be right back after these commercial messages. Hey, Philly's favorite listeners, welcome back to the pastor's office. I want to thank our guest today, uh, Ms. Morgan Lloyd from the African American Museum in Philadelphia and Dr. Minka Makalani from John Hopkins University. I pray that we were able to give you good information uh, about the history of Juneteenth and then about some great activities you can participate in uh, and be a part of uh, on the actual holiday tomorrow. But listen, I want to talk to you about what happened on I-95 this week. Um, Wow. First of all, we want to extend our deepest and most sincere condolences uh, to the families of those that lost their lives uh, in the collapse of the overpass. Um, you never want to hear these types of stories. Uh, and all we can do is pray uh, that the God of comfort, the God of peace, uh, will do his miraculous work in the lives of the families that have been affected. But as I think about this I-95 tragedy, uh, and as I think about the interruption of our daily commute uh, that we'll be dealing with now uh, for several months, I got to say this. I know that they do not always get a good rap but I thank God for our police officers, for our first responders, for the Office of Emergency Management, uh, and, and for our political leaders, for all the work that they have done. This is obviously not something that was anticipated. I the I-95 corridor is a major, major critical part of commerce not just in Philadelphia and Pennsylvania, but in these United States. And so, yes, for the next several months, that corridor is not going to be as easy as it has been to navigate. But I thank God for the police that I see stationed at every exit that are interacting with members of our community, helping them navigate 
the detours. I see them every day. They're at the Bridge Street exit. They're at the Cotman Street exit. They're at the Woodman, the Woodhaven exit. Uh, they're, they're, they're posted everywhere. And I, I got to tell you, they're being so very helpful. So I think this is a time for us to say thank you. I think it's a time for us to say thank you to our firefighters. Somebody had to go out there and fight that blaze. Somebody had to risk their lives to go out there and make sure that that blaze from the overturned tractor trailer did not do more damage than it did. And it was those firefighters that go out here every day and risk their lives so that we can be safe on the streets and on the sidewalks and in our houses here in the city of Philadelphia. So sometimes it's important for us to just say thank you. When you're stuck in traffic on State Road, when you're stuck in traffic on Roosevelt Boulevard and you want to get frustrated, think about all of those individuals in the police department and the fire department, our politicians, that are working overtime to try to rectify this situation for us. A lot of times we complain, folks. A lot of times we talk about what's not right. But I think on this day, we ought to give thanks for all the hard work that's being done. Not just in this situation, but just for people who who actually care about our well-being. I say it in church all the time. Look at your neighbor and say this or say that. You know what? When you see a police officer today, why don't you just stop and say thank you? When you see a firefighter today, say thank you. Just say thank you. And I promise you, I promise you, it'll make you feel so good. Hey, thank you for joining us in the pastor's office today. We love you. We love sharing great news with you about what's going on in the city of Philadelphia. Uh, We love to share information. We love to give you what you need so that you can always be informed and make great decisions. So we look forward to seeing you back here next week, same time, same channel. And while you're at it, why don't you go and tell somebody else about Philly's Favor 100.7 FM. It's Philadelphia's only FM black-owned gospel radio station. And we need your support to keep delivering for you. God bless you, y'all. Talk to you soon. Political spiritual, maybe some life. While you're while listening to Phyllis Faber. Yeah. Take a minute, turn the radio yeah. up. And take a seat in the pastor's office. Right. Well, the yeah. Tune in. Get up word where Jonathan makes it. Oh, yes, you should. Take a minute, turn the radio up. And take a seat. Son.